Look at the word charge in the dictionary and you'll see it has many meanings. It's what the cavalry does when it rushes to the enemy lines. It's also what you do at the checkout counter when you use your credit card instead of cash. When you are in charge, it means you're the boss. When you are excited about something, you get a charge out of it. And if you like power, you get a charge out of being in charge. In our daily lives, plug your laptop into the wall with a charger and you will see a full battery icon with a lightning bolt, which means the battery is charging and will soon operate at maximum capacity. What if though, instead of a machine, human beings could receive continuous jolts of electricity to charge our lives? The good news is the solution is right in front of us today. And over the weekend, I read a wonderful book that helped me to focus on the word charge in the very best sense and how you can apply the word charge as a framework to lead your life. In this book, charge was used as a catalyst for living with presence, optimism, and joy. Positivity abounded as I read this book. But best of all, the contagion that occurs when you bring your charge of electricity and your lightning bolt to others, it comes right back to you and even sparks even further. But what I loved about this book, it started in the very front with the quote of the immortal Dante that said, from a tiny spark may burst a mighty flame. The author of this wonderful book called Your Fully Charged Life, a radical approach to having endless energy and filling every day with yay. Her name is Megan Murphy and she put into the universe a practical guide to bringing your best self to the world at every moment. Chock full of research, neuroscience, which I really appreciate in psychology, it provides a blueprint for how feeling less stress and generally making the best of your day in spite of all of the enormous pressure and expectations. If you don't know Megan, Megan is an author, online air personality, lifestyle and health expert and editor-in-chief of Women's Day magazine. She is charged every day with energizing the brand. And you can see her on Live with Kelly and Ryan, on the Today Show, on Good Morning America, on Dr. Oz, on a podcast, married with three children and a dog. She is one productive lady, and it is my honor to welcome her. Megan, welcome to a climb to the top stories of transformation. Yeah, hey Chuck, that was that was just so epic. I love, I like, I'm what I didn't, I never looked up charge in the dictionary. That was amazing. Well, I, I taking notes. Well, I, I thought about Megan as I read the book. It, it just screamed with positivity, yet there was a realism to it. And I want to get to that because this isn't just about, hey, every day is a lightning bolt. There are definitely, there's a contrast between how to get there. But as I thought about how do I prep for the show, it's like, let me look up first. The, the lightning bolt, Zeus, the most powerful thing in the world. But then I looked at charge because it's something we use every day in our lives that we don't equate to the human spirit. As I read the book, Megan, what, what, what I immediately drew parallels to, what you're really doing, you're helping us to take that same plug that we're accustomed to every night into recharging. And, and there are 40 meanings in the dictionary of the word charge, both positive and the charges against the criminal were dropped. Negative. Before we get into the book, which was your story of your transformation, how did you come up with, even before the book, this concept 
of lightning bolts and charges? It's very nuanced. So the, the thing that everybody comes to me for and has always come to me for was my energy. Right. How do I channel your energy? How can I, if I could just have a little piece of your energy? Um, and a lightning bolt was just always a symbol I identified with. My mom is the OG bolt, I like to say. I had had this picture of her growing up on her honeymoon, which was a road trip to Yellowstone National Park. And she had like these epic, cool braids and this t-shirt with a giant lightning bolt on it. And I just grew up sort of saying, wow, my mom is cool. Um, and she was a person who um, believed everything was always possible. Ask forgiveness, not permission. And right. so she was an incredible role model in that and fully charged. And so the lightning bolt had always sort of been a symbol of this electricity. Um, this this possibility that I was chasing. Well, also to, to, to our viewers, you'll notice on the YouTube channel who are watching us, and if you're listening on C-Suite or Spotify or Apple, Megan has prominently displayed on both sides like an epaulette on, on a soldier. Lightning bolts, how beautiful. This is an interesting one, though, because while you just related to your childhood, you opened up the book with a couple nicknames, Negi. Grumpy. You talked about even though you were in the gravity of a very positive woman, your mom, your childhood, at least early on before a few events may have changed, it was not. Describe to us that little girl, the, the, the Megan that was not fully charged. What was she like and what did you, what did you call her? So the gift of time is that I can very, very I, I can look much more clearly at little Megan. Um, my negativity bias was incredibly strong. I was inherently negative, but I also just had these big swells of emotion. I'm, I'm a, an empath. I feel big. I feel sadness, anger, happiness, everything really, really big. Um, and as a child, I just didn't know how to process those emotions. You know, you'd hear things like, don't cry. Why are you so, why are you so happy? Why are you so upset? Like, I just felt like my emotions were big and they were under the microscope and I didn't know what to do with them, which is ultimately what led me to an eating disorder. It was to quiet these big swells of emotion that I didn't quite know what to do with. Um, and a lot of those emotions were just negative, um, yeah. fear, anger, um, you know, just big, big swells of emotions that I just couldn't handle. And I didn't have the tools or the resources to handle. In fact, I was going to say, maybe that was 20 years ago or so, where at the time we didn't seem to be so sensitive to what are the tools that help, not, not just boys, and I don't want to make this just a female thing, but struggling as a teenager with the body image, with, with all of those things that surround you, help us through, you recounted what was a very sad story in the book for me, because mm -hmm. I dealt with the opposite side of an eating disorder. And I had a childhood obesity issue. But as I read it, I so related to it. Help us understand the nature of this story, and perhaps your bottom moment that led to the change. Yeah. Yeah, so I used food or a lack thereof to quiet these swells of emotions. So the same way someone might stuff their emotions, I starved my emotions um, and I became a raging anorexic. And I say a raging anorexic, I'm good at things and I was good at anorexia. Um, by the time I was 16 years old, I fainted on a soccer field and was you know, put in a hospital program for an eating disorder. 
my best friend and I at the time were partners in crime. We would, you know, go exercise for at XYZ woman for four hours together, then walk home and then maybe eat a rice cake. I mean, we were, we were really kind of fueling each other's eating disorders, partners in crime um, in this, you know, we called, they called it tandem anorexics at that time. Um, but we were partners in crime in this horrible pursuit of, um, for me, quieting those emotions, just shutting up that voice in my head that said I you know, wasn't allowed to be sad, wasn't allowed to be angry, wasn't good enough, wasn't smart enough, wasn't pretty enough, wasn't any of the things. Um, and so I'm in this eating disorder program and our parents were friends and her parents had called my, my parents and said, okay, we're gonna put her in this program too. Um, and the next thing I know, I'm on the hospital payphone talking to my friend saying, I'll just get here, it's not that big of a deal. Like we'll get through it, we'll get out, we'll, we'll do what we gotta do. And so en route to the program, she jumped out of her minivan and her body was weak and she was frail and she died. I mean, I didn't talk about it as suicide then but it, but essentially it was, it was a suicide and she was gone. And now I'm 16. I am dealing with an eating disorder. I'm in a hospital program. It's the, it's the first loss I've experienced in my life. I've, I haven't lost it. I, you know, this was the first loss. And not only is it this massive loss, my best friend, but, um, I feel guilty. I feel responsible. Um, and it was hard. I you know. And so I was in therapy and, I say this because at the, t the therapy was fine. It managed the symptoms. It gave well, me you, tools to deal with the problem. And I you spoke about, highly of it. You, 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 yeah. you were positive about the therapeutic experience. Absolutely. Therapy is wonderful. And I always, I say this to everyone, my book is not a substitute for therapy. It's not a replacement for therapy. If you need therapy, go to therapy. Right. The, the key for me was the therapy got me to a place where I was a functioning human. I was no longer punishing myself by starving, but I wasn't happy. And this was what I later understood when I sort of delved into the field of positive psychology. So psychology at that time, like right in the eighties was like, what's wrong with you and how do we fix it? Not what's right with people and how do we emulate it, right? So I wasn't learning how to flourish or thrive or practice gratitude. I was learning how to eat and to not punish myself with food, which was great. I needed to do that so I didn't pass out on the soccer field again. Um, but I wasn't healed spiritually. I was functioning. I was a func I was functioning, right. right? I think that was the 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 big difference for me. You were so, charged, but you were anything but fully charged. Exactly, exactly. I wasn't. You know, I mean, there was mo before some of those hospitalizations, some of that therapy, and some of that work. I mean, I would be like in a winter coat in June, right. like freezing because I was emaciated and probably hadn't had more than a diet soda in three days. I mean, I was a disaster. I'm, I'm determined and I'm good at things. So the second I decided I wasn't going to eat anymore, I wasn't going to eat anymore. Um, and, and you float. I mean, they're like the thing about anorexia is you sort of float above reality, right? So you don't have to feel, you don't have, you're just sort of existing outside of emotion. It was, I was just numb yeah. and that was easier. Well, let me, let me first, um, I know it was many years ago. I am sorry for your loss. Yeah. You also spoke lovingly of pop, of your father who yeah. died, who we lost to cancer as I lost my parents to cancer. Um, I, I, I am sorry for your loss to both of them. And I think as an author, 
uh, it's really nice to relate to those stories that that connect to us. And I'm sure many of our listeners, particularly parents, you had a friend who had anorexia or eating disorder, whatever that may be, Megan, you found a way to get out of it because whether you knew it or not, all of that gave birth, so to speak, to this wonderful book that you wrote. What was the space between, and maybe this is where the transformation occurred where you're at the rock bottom of dealing with anorexia and all of a sudden you're not? How did that happen? Yeah. How did you get I out wrote of that? about it. So yeah. I wrote about it, Chuck. And I think it was writing has always been very cathartic for me. Um, and it was in that act of making my mess my message and writing a very powerful essay of what I had been through right. that I began to heal. Right. I also was awarded a $10,000 college scholarship and I was featured on a, on a TV show that right. it was Bob Costas and, and Don Johnson and Trisha Yearwood performed. And from there, my struggle was celebrated. I got to tell my story and I realized the more I told my story, the more I connected with others, the more I began to heal, the more I wanted to help others, the more I got this helper's high of showing people there was a way through and a way out. Um, and that was that first taste for me of like, wow, being vulnerable, being open, making your mess your message. There's a lot of gifts in that. Um, and, it, and I began to create some positive momentum um, and it, it opened up the door for a career. I wound up getting an internship that turned into a contributing editorship at YM Magazine. Then I wound up, wound up being one of the founding editors at Teen People. I was on air at MTV. And then I wound up at Cosmo. And I, I say at Cosmo was where the seeds of a fully charged life were really truly planted when my editor, unbeknownst to her, gave me the most game-changing, life-changing assignment ever. And she told me to write the story called The Seven Secrets of Happiness. And that's the way sometimes magazine works. We're like, oh, we want a cover line that's like the seven secrets of happiness. Go figure out what that story is. Yeah. Hey, blank sheet of paper. Yeah, I got to create like, something. This is exactly. awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it w often works in magazines. They're like, we know this. Readers would love this. Now go figure out what this is. Um, and, and, so for and me, hope somebody reads it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I wound up researching this story. And this was like in the 90s, too, where like Google wasn't really a thing. Like I had to do some research and I wound up looking at the work of Martin Seligman in the field of positive psychology. Mm -hmm. And I really had... I was fascinated. I was enthralled with the perma theory of wellness. And I was really like, it was the first time it occurred to me that I didn't have to be grumpy and I didn't have to be negative and, th and that functioning wasn't the end game. There was more um, and that I could actually potentially be happy. But before that, I had rolled my eyes. Like you'd be like, oh, there was that song was don't worry, be happy. And it's like, okay, well, how do you do that? I'm always been, I'm a, I'm a problem solver. Okay, great. That's a good idea. But how, how do I, how do I don't worry, be happy? That's, that's a good bumper sticker. That's a good song hook. But like, how do I do that? And when I started to look at Martin's work and the positive psychology, I was like, oh, there are choices. There are things you can do every day to choose happy, to prioritize positivity, to actively move the happiness needle. Like those things, I mean, until you know, you don't, you don't know. Like I, I just didn't realize like, oh, happy people do these things and these things work. Yeah, and if, if I may, just I really appreciated you cited the work of Barbara Fredrickson and her yes. broaden and build 
build theory, which I really liked it because it was positive emotions. But I want our listeners to, to understand the, the way you framed what is to me a formula for fully charged. And you use, you use Seligman's PERMA theory of P, positive engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplish. And I think taken individually, each of them can be confounding to any human being because we, we don't know individually what they mean. How do you use the factors that ultimately equate to fully charged? Do you take them one at a time or do they all just blend? Well, ultimately they all impact each other. So they do kind of blend, but the joy is if you work on one, you'll, you'll have positive ripple effects in the other, right. right? And I think my secret sauce as a journalist and as an author is that I fun filter science. So I'm not going to tell you something like, oh, you should practice cognitive reappraisal. I'm going to say, reframe what's lame. Here's how to do it. Here's five ways to do it. And let's make it fun and easy, yeah. right? Um, and, and so that, that framework helped me understand areas of focus, right? Relationships. Oh my gosh, people are the answer to all of life's problems. How do I focus more on my relationships? <laughs> Who knew? Accomplishment. Yeah, like gold stars actually matter. That like, we need a pat on the back. We need to pat ourselves on the back. We need to pat other people on the back. Like, you know, engagement. Yeah, you got to care about stuff, right? Like, it's important to have purpose. What? Yeah, I, I, I so appreciated that I was reading the book, but there was there, there were two personal narratives that really struck me. And one of them is the New Yorker and me who's commuted to the city for years. And to any, I think anybody reading this book who ever sat on Metro North or New Jersey Transit or a bus headed to the city has been delayed when you had a, you had a staff meeting just waiting for your, your presence and you weren't going to make it. It seemed to me, and I want to recount this story, as I was reading your description of what happened to you when you were stuck on a bus and everyone else was freaking out. And I think this is thematic to the book. Yes. At any given moment, you have a choice, whatever that may be. Can you put us in that seat? Help yeah. us to understand the choice you made, because I think everyone proverbially has been sitting in this bus and you exactly. can either get completely pissed off and, and, and swear out the driver or not. What's the scene? Paint it for us. And I, people love this anecdote and it's so simple. It's Powerful. just a basic human example. So pre-pandemic, I had you know an hour and 45 minute commute door to door on New Jersey Transit on a stuffy bus with lots and lots of people sandwiched next to someone, clearly not six feet apart, like, stranger danger, like up in my grill, like sandwiched on this bus, commuting on New Jersey Turnpike into Manhattan. Um, you know, and it was a necessary evil to get to work. One day, it just, the, the bus just dies. It just dies. It was like, pop, 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 and we're like, okay, we are You're not going anywhere. <laughs> no. And we're like, and it's not like a nice pull off. Like we're like against the like metal median right and like there's no shoulder and the bus is just dead and and this is the new jersey transit never actually tells you what's happening right like we have no idea why the bus has stopped what has have we run out of gas is the bus driver having a seizure like what is going on we are just stopped um and then the you know the air condition kicks off and now you're sweating and you're stopped and people this this and people start 
at their, they start pacing, they start barking into their phones. Like, like their meeting is the most important. Their job is the most important. I'm pretty sure no one on this bus is curing cancer in this moment, but everybody's barking into their phone, angry, miserable, waving fists, like just this cesspool of negativity, right? And so in that moment, you have, you can join in, right? You can join in the bitch fest and you, well, I have this meeting and I'm going to miss that. And oh, like it's, it's easy, right? It's easy to get dragged into that cesspool. But I, I pause, I practice the pause and I absolutely check myself before I wreck myself. And in that moment, what I say to myself is, well, looks like we're going to have to scale that guardrail to get onto this other bus that is now pulled ahead of us 20, 30 minutes later. Okay, glad I didn't wear heels. Glad I have comfy shoes on. <gasps> Lucky me, not wearing a mini skirt. Okay, cool. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to scale that thing. And guess what? You know what? I am in the middle of a really great podcast and I'm going to finish it. And I wouldn't have gotten to finish it otherwise. I'm going to finish my podcast. And you know what? Like, I'm going to, I, I have my phone. I'm going to email everybody, tell them I'm going to running late and I'll start the meeting when I get there, right? Like I just make those small choices so that I don't get sucked into the, the negativity. And you know what? I'm better for it. I'm happier for it because what does all that barking on your phone do? What is that? What is that like hardship Olympics do? Nothing, nothing. Well, Megan, this was the metaphor and, and what in my head, because you had, you had gifted us with so much neuroscience, the Carl Jung quote, I am not what happens to me. I am who I choose to become. As I was reading your book, it, 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 that, that's what was coming through to me. And I think the metaphor for the book, for, for the listeners and our viewers, thank you for tuning in. If you think about every single day, you have a choice. Every single moment, you have a choice. But if you don't have the tools to help you to, to decide on the positive choice, we have the tools for you. And I, I won't give them away in the book because I'm yeah. such a fan of it. Thank you for bringing it. But I do want to account to one other story. This was just, I'd never seen anything quite like this. Imagine you're in your town. Now you could be Westfield, New Jersey. You could be somewhere, anywhere in America. And you're driving around and what you see, or you're walking around and you see a rock and it's painted. And it's painted with a couple images that may have words of affirmation. And you think that you drop those rocks because you want to bring it to someone and maybe make their day. But a funny thing happened on the way to dropping those rocks that speak to the second metaphor in the book about the, the bolts, the lightning that comes back to us. Explain that because I love, I got, I read it again. I got such a kick at it. Like what? You did this? <laughs> it was so cool. Well, so a few years ago, I was appointed chief spirit officer of my town of Westfield, New Jersey. Um, and it was, you know, it was a volunteer appointment. And I, I, one of my key principles in life is that you should love where you live and celebrate community um, and always be part of the solution. Um, and I started this thing called Best Field Rocks. My town is Westfield. I call it Best Field. And I started this <laughs> thing called Best Field Rocks. And me and my kids would paint rocks with positive messages and affirmations. And then I would make silver ones that said in blue glitter, because those are our town colors, best field rocks. And I would put them in stores and whatnot. Um, but are you talking about the, the exchange between my neighbor and Larry? Yeah, Davis? it was this really was, cool yeah. because of what happened and what came back yeah. to you. And that next thing you know, we're creating something from this. So this was really, so <laughs> we were really just, we, we just kept painting rocks and it was like a fun thing for my kids and I. 
And my neighbor, Larry, who I just, I just adore, an unlikely friend, we one day just left a pile of unpainted rocks by the fence. Mm -hmm. And we're like, hey, Larry, you want to be part of Bestfield Rocks? Like we're painting rocks. And the next thing I know, he painted all of these rocks and they were amazing because he's, he's, he's a punny guy. He did crocodile rocks and he did jailhouse <laughs> rock. and From he a did, best a, field rock. <laughs> yes, like he did all of these really, really epic, funny rocks. And then we would leave more rocks and then he would leave a little pile and it became this like really incredible back and forth exchange and he at the time had been going through a, a, a tough divorce he had lost his dog like and this just we would get such an excited charge of putting the rocks by the fence and then he would get such a delight in painting them and leaving for them for us and then we would hide them around town and then people would find them and then tag us on social media so then we get the bonus lightning bolt effect of people finding them and celebrating them and it just became this really cool thing throughout town um what was really really neat when my book came out somebody surprised me and made rocks for my book cover that's just I was hysterical <laughs> like someone was like did you do that's those cool. and it was like you can have your fully charged life and they were hidden all around town and artists painted them in celebration of of what we had done and and just as a tribute to the book and I was so touched I my my heart exploded well Megan as I read that what I loved about it while I certainly related to the personal narrative to our moment on the bus but what you described in the lightning bolt was how you're bringing the positivity to the world and how it comes back to you. Because your book was about hope, zest, gratitude, love, curiosity, all those things we love to talk about. But you're displaying them not just in your words, but in your actions, in your actions on a rock. And what came to the thank you for, for doing that? It, it, it was a wonderful narration and I think speaks volumes about the framework of the book that you were communicating. So let's get to some of the specifics and what we're going to leave our listeners with. You talked about some key concepts, owning your apology, high-fiving the haters, all of that lovely stuff because we're leaning into the things that maybe aren't the best of what, what happens to us, but how we choose to react to those situations that were, were less than positive. Love that. But also, and then the toxicity of the friendships. Let's get to that one, because I think there's a lot of the energy vampires that you describe. Talk about the nature of many people who don't know or recognize what a toxic friendship is, because I think it's the thing that pulls away our charge, and maybe we don't know it at the time. I think that's really key is just to recognize how people make you feel and do an energy audit because energy is contagious. Good energy is contagious and bad energy is contagious. And I, I sometimes give people this example. If you were walking on the treadmill in the gym and the person next to you is, is like yapping on a phone and, and like half ass in the workout, how does that impact you? Do you suddenly feel turbocharged to do your best? Or are you sort of annoyed and slogging away too? Whereas if that person is crushing life and maybe fist pumping the air and like bump into pop into the music, how does that impact you? I bet you work harder. I bet you feel energized because energy is contagious, good right. and bad. Right. Um, and and so I think we have to do an energy audit and understand how people make us feel. Are you excited to see someone? How do you feel when you're in your in their presence? Do you, do you feel like the best version of you? 
or are you sucked into negativity? I, I know that if I'm in a group of women and I'm suddenly gossiping because everybody's gossiping, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to, to keep my distance. Yeah, you, otherwise you're feeding the machine. You And it's, and then for anybody, it's easy to get sucked into that. So just understanding, okay, wait a second. Am I the best version of me in this scenario? Am I behaving in a way I'm proud of? And when you leave, are, are you looking forward to seeing them again? Or are you like good riddance? Like just simply being aware of how other people make you feel and understanding that you don't need to invite those energy vampires into your life. Like granted, if it's a family member, um, there are certain relationships that you have to navigate, but there are many relationships that you don't. And I think the beauty of the pandemic was this pause where who do you miss? Who did you miss seeing? Like, who are you excited to now reconnect with? Like, those are, that's a good litmus test for who are your people, because your people should feel like sunshine. No, and I appreciate that. I really like that. I want to bring one more concept about the book, because I think it's the elephant in the room. And I think we learned a lot about this from our COVID world. I know when I speak to so many people, come onto my show, your show, people talk about work-life balance. And you said, no, we don't have that quite right. Yeah, maybe you can call it that, but you decided to, 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 to reframe it into work-life harmony. And, and I think it was a good way of looking at it differently and accepting the world that we're in. Explain how you came to that concept. Well, I think everybody talks about balance being baloney, right? I mean, we know no two things are ever equal. Right. Like that's pretty clear. But what does it mean to create harmony to understand like, yeah, you kind of want your life to function like an orchestra. You're going to have different instruments and different players who play different roles at different times. And sometimes the drums take the lead and sometimes the violins have their solo. They all work in harmony to create this beautiful music. And that's kind of what my life has to be like. You know, sometimes work is going to take precedence. Sometimes my son's getting his tonsils out and that's all that matters. Those two things need to understand each other. So I think that bringing yourself to the job and, and having people understand, like you have a family, you have values, you have outside interests, so that work and, and life understand each other, respect each other, understand that they each have their parts and they get to, they get to take center stage at different times. Well, I really liked it because I think so many people that I see have a lot of anxiety and I understand that it's binary, you're either this or you're that but you, they can't coexist. And, and, and it was wonderfully written. Thank you. I want to finish up with a couple of, a couple of things. One of the cool things you did in the book, and, and perhaps it's, it's a blessing of your last name, the double entendre or whatever that may be. And we all grow up knowing Murphy's law that anything that can go wrong, can go, anything that can go wrong, does go wrong. Um, Help our listeners before they, they, whether or not they pick up the book, how you infuse, because I thought it was a very clever rhetorical device that you used. How did you blend Murphy's Law and what do they mean to you and to your readers? So a lot of it for me was I still had things to say at the end of a chapter. <laughs> Good <I'm> point. Like, <laughs> I'm going to package it as Murphy's Law so I can give you one more tidbit. And my editor won't stop me. Very clever. I liked it. <laughs> Um, but I, I think it's also sort of the, pro the product of me being a magazine editor for so many years. Like, I want you to have news you can use. I want you to have action steps right here, right now. And I want to give you a device to remember it and take it away instantly. Um, so there are different Murphy's laws. Um, and I think is high five the haters one of the Murphy's laws? 
It might be um, its own section. No, That's it was its own. Yeah, I loved it because it, it was a really good and high five. It, it was such a, a clever alliteration. High five the haters. It was in its own place. Well, I have a t-shirt that says that. I like it. <laughs> it, it, it I'm trying, so it's funny. I have to like sometimes look back at the book to see what are the laws. What are the laws that I wound up with? Because you know how, like as an author, like yeah. I turned in 90,000 words and there's probably like 20 Murphy's Laws on the uh, on the cutting room floor. Do you have a favorite? Um, I didn't have a favorite necessarily. I what I was more struck by is what a clever use it was for the things that you wanted to say. And in the book, they are they are highlighted in green or I forget the color, but but the, but they are, yeah, they are taken right there. They're cut out. And as I read those Murphy's Laws, I said it was very good. In many ways, they were an extension of the theme you're already talking about. But I was so caught up trying to understand each of the themes. Every time I got to the laws, it was just a very, very accessible way of closing your chapters. Last thing. Okay. Um, wonderful quote. I, I loved my Angelou. You had so many great quotes along the way. I'm a quote machine. I, I think the power of words and, and just surrounding yourself with words that have meaning to you are, is just so helpful. Well, it's the editor in you, the both of us as authors, the words have power and they have power to inspire. And that's what your book does. But I love, I actually, I had to reread this quote. As I read, it, I just started cracking up and I said, oh my God, this was clever. A single lightning bolt contains enough energy to cook 100,000 pieces of toast. That was like, boom, if you didn't get the book, like if you didn't like get it, you got it. Um, so Chuck, that's, a, that was on a Snapple cap. I couldn't figure out. I like was, this was hysterical. I couldn't quite figure out how to finish the book. Right. Cause I don't run out of ideas. I wasn't done talking, but I had to wrap it up. Like my editor's like, got to wrap it up. Okay. It was great. And, and then I'm on, somebody sent me on Instagram. They DM me, I'm drinking this Snapple. And I saw this cap and I thought of you and I was like, Eureka, this is it. This is exactly how I want to end the book. Because if one tip, one trick, one strategy in this book sticks with you, just one, that's your lightning bolt. That's your truckload of toast. And that's all you need. That's what I got out of the book, which is why when I finished the book and I started prepping, I looked up lightning bolt charge. It all came back that it was a wonderful way to close. But to our listeners, it's thinking about the power of leverage from a bolt. And what Megan described throughout the book is you apply that bolt to yourself as to the decisions that you make when in downtimes, but you apply the bolt when you drop a rock and to see what comes back to you. That's the power of the bolt. That's the 10X. That's the, the force multiplier that this book brings into the world that if we have the choice to bring a lightning bolt, look at the immense power, the power of Zeus to bring the lightning bolt to the world. And then lastly, um, Megan, I, I suspect whether it's teenage girls dealing with anorexia moms and dads dealing with all the things that we do in our day, given the busy lives. I always like to leave, and you can talk directly to the audience. What do you want our listeners to think? What do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do in the context of the lightning bolt and living a fully charged life? I just want to offer hope that if, that if, Oh God, it makes me want to cry. But if you feel stuck, I think so many people feel stuck. And you can get unstuck. It's just about creating positive momentum.
And it's a simple choice. It is a simple choice. It's just so simple. And I, I think about, I'm, I'm getting emotional because I'm thinking about the parents who reach out to me and say, my kid has this raging and you need sort of help. Can you talk to them? Or I think of someone, a, a parents, the parents who are just feeling so hopeless after a year of the pandemic and easing back into life. If you feel stuck, you don't need a life overhaul. It can be one little thing that's going to create your momentum and it's going to get you unstuck. One little thing because you're not broken. Yeah. One thing. And I appreciate that. And, and what I found is I thought about the people who have come to me with their pain, their anxiety. Sometimes they're, they, they don't even know all I have to do is try to find one thing. Yeah. They're trying to do too much. And what I liked about this is your book, you, you, you can choose. There's an endless array of tools. Focus on one. Don't, don't focus on 10. One is accepting and high-fiving the haters. Sometimes that's just the way to unlock the mechanism that creates the saboteur in ourselves. I think it's, and that's the thing too, it can be as simple as, and this one really seems to resonate people with is changing your have to's to get to, to trick right. yourself into practicing gratitude. Right. Instead of thinking about all the things in life you have to do, think about all the things you get to do. And, and gra gratitude is the rock that comes back to you. You place the yeah. rock in Larry's yard, Larry gives you back with, with 10 times more than what you gave. There's your factor. Uh, Megan, thank you so much for coming on. To our listeners and our viewers, thank you every week for tuning in. You have listened to a climb or watched a climb to the top stories of transformation. You can find me on chuckgarcia.com. As always, Megan, before we sign off, where do we find you and where do we find your book? So my book is available anywhere books are sold. Amazon seems to be where most people buy books these days, although I'm kind of a shop local kind of girl. Um, and I'm pretty busy on Instagram at Megan B. Murphy, M-E-A-G-H-A-N B. Murphy. And I do um, a, an Instagram called The Yay List, which is just a celebration of life. Yeah. Well, Megan, thank you so much for sh one for sharing your story. It was heartfelt. I related to all of it, and I really appreciated what you put in the universe. I wish you the very best. Let's keep these communication lines open, but I am grateful for your contribution on the climb to the top. Yay. Thank you for having me. You're quite welcome. It's a pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.